You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. This is called Pirate Radio. Be like, oh, these are stupid guns. Guns uh. are for jerks. <laughs> Run around this city like it's your damn shooting gallery. Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? You act like it's a playground. You beat up the bullies with your fists. Throw him in jail, everybody calls you a hero, right? And then a month, a week, a day later, you're back on the streets doing the yeah. same thing. So you just put him in the morgue. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? The great pirate Robert is here for you. Pain heals. Takes dig scars. Glory. Lasts forever. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. What's in the box? Kill her, you son of a... This is called Pirate Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, my name is Mike Lunsford and this is GGR Pirate Radio. Guys, we've got a fantastic episode in store for you. In fact, we're like starting the intro halfway through our episode, basically. Uh, we're talking a little bit sports. We're going to talk about um, a topic that is near and dear to all of our hearts. It is the state of geekdom. What do we mean by that? Kind of like the state of the union, only without, you know, some crazy half insane president talking about nonsense. We're actually going to talk about things that matter to us. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of what's going on in the geek world in general. Um, we're going to talk about all the movies that are coming out, all of the things that we're seeing in our world um, and how it affects all of us, but also some things that might be coming uh, up soon to anticipate, um, but also to maybe be wary of. Uh, joining me today, as always when it comes to GGR Fire Radio, I've got my cohort in crime, Mr. Steve Monick. That's me. And special guest, the host of Arlington in the Morning, the host and creator and head MFIC in charge of uh, all things Fantastic Forum. His name is Ulysses Campbell. Oh, thank you very much, Mike. Of course, of course. Guys, we went way off the rails there, but that's why I love having both of you guys on because I know that we can carry on a conversation without having anything. I mean, a la Seinfeld, we can have a show about nothing and it'll totally work. Um. That was one of the more exciting sports things that I, I had never heard of the gray alien Sam Cassell um, <laughs> comparison before. Um, that That's something new to me. Um, if you guys are listening to this right now, make sure you check out our website because she is up and running like a fine oiled machine. Uh, like Mr. Scott, chief engineer of the, United, of the USS Enterprise would say, uh, GGR is a fine lady and you should treat her as such. Do so by going to the website that is greatgeekrefuge.com. Check out our articles. Check out our podcasts. We've got a network of podcasts now. We have Miss J. Dilla, who has her own show, which is called Epop. Check that one out. That one's pretty fun as well. Guys, I want to talk about the, uh, the state of geekdom. Um, Steve, you and I have talked about this before. Yuli, you and I have talked about this before. Now all three of us can talk about it together. Um, what kind of prompted this too was Steve and I were talking about um, Star Trek Discovery, the, the recent series that the just season one just ended on uh, the CBS All Access app that they have. And as somebody who's been a Star Trek fan since he was a kid, I wouldn't say I was surprised because this is pretty par for the course for Star Trek fans. But there was a very mixed reaction from the Star Trek fandom overall. Because uh, I actually ended up doing a poll for one of my articles. Overall, about 87% of Star Trek fans that I polled really liked the series. They either liked it or enjoyed it. But there's still this contingent out there who will say things like, not my Star Trek, or I don't understand why they can't stick to canon, or I'm never going to watch this because CBS did this to uh, all those fan movies, or Paramount is blocking this, or X, Y, or Z. There's so many different things. From what you guys have been seeing, and, and Yuli, I'll start with you because I know you're a Star Trek fan, and then we'll, we'll go to Steve. Um, Yuli, from what you've seen with with people who are in these crowds, because I know you've even done stories on Fantastic Form about some of those fan films they've made, 
is this pretty consistent that Star Trek fans tend to have a lot of animosity towards CBS and Paramount and therefore really not going to follow a lot of their new projects? Well, I, I think that it's not just Star Trek fans, Mike. I think yeah. that uh, because you look at um, a lot of fans of different genres and particularly comics and science fiction and as different projects are rebooted or different comics are adapted uh, and particularly when it comes to uh, race and gender swaps uh, you have a lot of fans that react very badly to that i actually think that was a big part of what happened with star trek discovery because uh, you had an African-American woman who was featured very prominently. Uh, there was an Asian woman that was featured very prominently. And uh, there were a lot of people who reacted poorly to that, particularly with uh, some of the history of Star Trek, you know, with uh, guys like Captain Kirk, uh, Captain Picard, Ca you know, uh, C Commander Riker, uh, you know, being so, uh, so prominent. And... I don't think that a lot of fans felt as if uh, as if it was this was genuine. I think that the way they looked at it was somehow uh, these casting choices or story choices were pandering um, in the name of so-called political correctness. And so I think it's across the board. I, I, I wish I could say it was just limited to Star Trek. The one thing that I think... Uh, there is some true irony uh, about is the fact that Star Trek was always all about inclusiveness. And so for these fans to, to buck diversity um, really goes against what Gene Roddenberry was trying to do and what he was trying to say all along with creating the Enterprise and its very diverse uh, multi- racial, multi-ethnic, uh, even, um, you know, multi-planetary crew. Well, it's interesting that you say that, too, because um, with all of this, like, it's... Especially, like, with Star Trek, I didn't even bring up the race thing. I didn't even realize that there was an issue with... Um, I mean, I knew there was an issue, but, like, I wasn't even really referencing that when I was talking about uh, this, I was talking about just how people were like, Oh, well, I don't like it because they've updated the graphics and it doesn't look like the old series or that they're not going to stay a hundred percent to Canon or how are they possibly going to fit this into the Canon or any of that stuff? I had completely left that part out of it, but that is a really good point too. And like you said, it's not exclusive to just star Trek. They did that with star Wars too. They yeah. And, went, and, and my yeah. people will give you any excuse for why they don't like something, Yeah, uh, you know, but, there are unfortunately sometimes some fun to fun, some fundamental reasons why people feel the way they do. And sometimes I got to believe they may not necessarily even be aware of what it is that bothers them most about it. Yeah. Steve, what, um, what, what's your take on, on this, man? I want to kind of hear from you on, on this uh, particular topic. Yeah. So I feel like this is a microcosm of pop culture in its entirety. So I feel like ever since, I don't know. I don't want to say like since 2000, but like, I mean, in the recent uh, era here, there's just been such an explosion of media. I mean, when you think about when we were younger, um, you know, you were kind of into your thing and now everyone is kind of into everything. And I feel like the people who have been into their thing for the longest and they see this flood of people coming, there's one of two routes that these people go. They either go, I'm going to prove how I'm so much bigger of a fan than you, or I'm going to prove why no one should like this thing. Cause I kind of feel like, and I, and I, I know you guys have met those people. They're like, Oh, I only like these bands until they get big. And then when everyone comes and likes them, then <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. And I feel like fandom for different, different media is like that anymore. So with this particular one, star Trek, I feel like this is new and it's going to bring in a whole bunch of people who this might be their first Star Trek. They've, they're not really fans of it before, but hey, let's give it a try. It's cool. People at work are talking about it or whatever. 
And so the people that have been lifelong Star Trek fans, they can either go one of two ways. They can talk about how awesome it is and the new things. And they're going to the mirror universe and that's cool. We've never really explored that to this depth or whatever and talk about it. Yeah. Just show prove how much they know about Star Trek and love it. Or they can go terrible, sucks, uh, too, too much diversity for no reason or like whatever reason they're going to cling on to is say it's terrible. But really, I think deep down, it's like, hey, this was my thing. And now everyone's in it. It's not really special anymore. That's a really good point, too. Like, I I just have never thought – I've never looked at it that way. Like, I've never once thought that more people liking Star Trek was a bad thing. Um, in fact, I thought it was a great thing because it <laughs> meant that there might be more people I could actually talk about it with. Which I think is the just, right way to look at it. I th- and that, yeah. that being said, and I probably should have said that before when I was talking about my little piece there, is like – I, I think more people being fans of, for example, the Marvel Comics movies. I mean, you think about the just the litany of people that are fans of, of Iron Man who have never read an Iron Man comic. But you know what that means? They're making more Iron Man comics. They're making more movies. They're, they're producing more. I look at it as a positive. But I think there's some people who feel like they paid their dues early. And now uh, other people are trying to like get in on it at the last minute, kind of like bandwagon it, you know, like you yeah, guys, I mean, yeah. imagine what if the Redskins ended up winning the Super Bowl this year and all these people are walking around wearing, wearing Washington. Yeah, a whole gear. lot of new fans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're thinking, Hey, like I've, I've been through, I've been through like the worst freaking 20 years of them sucking yeah. and doing nothing. And now you're going to jump on the bandwagon and say, you're a fan. And I feel like that's the same kind of loyalty that people have. Okay. But conversely, Ooh. I'm right with you. I, I think people collaborating, I, I think community is one of the strongest assets we have in our country. Yeah. Collaboration, community, people talking about stuff, exchanging ideas, because that fosters new developments, more growth. And if you're talking on an economic standpoint, I mean, look how much money Black Panther freaking made. You think they're not going to make two oh, more of those? Yeah. You know, if you like Black yeah. Panther, more people seeing that just means you get more of the thing you love. So I think. I think people are yeah. too quick to jump on the negative. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. And like, um, what, what's been really, really encouraging too is seeing the younger generation who is now starting to see these things, like Marvel, for instance, that were never really into uh, the original stuff, um, who are not into Star Trek, who are not into Star Wars, who are now getting into it, being embraced by the older generation and the older generation sticking up for them and defending them. And saying, like, when people are like, oh, well, this is just, they're doing this just for ratings, or they're doing this just to make money in the box office for diversity. They're pandering to this, they're pandering to that. And, like, the old hats standing up and being like, no, diversity is cool, but not only that, that's what these shows and movies and comic books have always stood for. So why don't you just go ahead and get the hell out of here? Like, it's nice that we're seeing a camaraderie where it's like, no, 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 don't listen to these idiots. Like, you you come over here, you hang out with us the reasonable nerds don't hang out with the racist nerds. There, there are two different sects of well, nerds. And, and frankly speaking, I mean, none of us know each other's hearts. You know, we don't know what these, with these people, yeah. I mean, maybe they are making it to pander to a certain group. Maybe they're not. We don't know the intent behind it unless they what? come out and say it or some other country hacks their email and releases it on the internet. And they say why they did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't know. So all you can really do is judge the thing for what it is. And, if it is inorganic and it detracts from the story and, and, you know, they're just hammering you over the head with whatever particular message they're trying to get across. And you're like, look, man, this is just getting ridiculous at this point. Then I think it's fair to criticize it for that. But conversely, the fact that it is a maybe a diverse cast by gender or by race, for example, which are the two you brought up for, for Star Trek. If it doesn't detract from the story, I don't really care who the individuals are that are portraying the characters as long as they do a good job and it facilitates the story or doesn't detract from it. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that was being getting me with like the, the criticism of Ray where they're like, Oh, she's a Mary Sue. How is she any different than Luke? Like she's essentially not a carbon copy, but like she's like Luke only we have no idea who her parents are. And like, you really didn't know who Luke's parents were until the very end of the series anyways. And you really didn't even find out who his mom was until they did the prequels. So like, I don't see how it just seems like you're, you're, you're not a bad person. Bad person is the wrong word, but you're like some sort of sociopathic monster 
if you can't like identify with somebody just because they don't look exactly like you and they have the same bits and pieces that you do. Like, well, it's a it's a double standard is yeah. what it comes down to. There, there are a couple of things that you guys said uh, that I'd like to comment on. One, um, Steve had mentioned uh, the impact on the source material, and I unfortunately I have to disagree with that. Uh, it does not seem as if the Marvel movies generate additional comic sales. I mean, in some cases, and the, and the comics people have gone to great pains. For example, when the Avengers came out, all of a sudden they wanted to put the Black Widow in the Avengers and Hawkeye, and you know, you're trying to create the same team that you were seeing in the movies. But there has never been a, a serious impact on comic sales based on uh, whatever is happening in the movies or on TV. And I think that's that's a huge problem. They've been suffering. Uh, in terms, like, actually. Yeah. 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 Well, now, in terms of... Um, you know, pe- more people liking the stuff that we like. I think that's a mixed bag. I was actually just saying to somebody last night because we were talking about Spider-Man Two um, on the way back from this. Uh, you mean the Grim Wire one, and, not uh, the Amazing Spider-Man Two, right? Exactly, exactly. That's why I said Spider-Man Two well and done. not Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man Two. But I appreciate. But no, no. But I appreciate you clarifying that because I might have been one of those people who didn't know what they were talking about. And, oh, yeah, I know you know, you know what Spider-Man you're talking about. Where, <laughs> where Gwen Stacy died. You know, no. But, um, all right, see, so, so here, here's, this is my thing. Spider-Man 2 is a great movie, okay? That was a great movie, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but my problem was this. When you read a Spider-Man comic book, that took some imagination, and Dr. Octopus was a perfect example of that because, you know, they'd have a panel, you know, there's John Romita or Ross Andrew or Gil Kane or whoever drew it. And, you know, you have to imagine that Dr. Octopus's arms are flailing about and here's Spider-Man performing all this complex acrobatics to avoid these flailing arms and, you know, at top speed. And, you know, but you, you, you didn't really understand why this stuff was as popular as it was if you didn't have the imagination to buy in. Well, all of a sudden, here comes Spider-Man 2, and they're fighting on the side of an elevated subway train. And everybody gets it, you know? I mean, they're yeah. they're able to see. I mean, it took no imagination whatsoever to go into the theater and see this. Now, um, do I blame some of these people? No, nah, not really. But do I harbor a certain resentment to more recent converts, I kind of do, you know, I mean, and I'm sorry for that, (laughs) but, you know, but, but that's real. Now, the other thing in terms of diversity, and it's one thing if you're talking about like a, a Star Trek discovery, where you've never had these characters before, and you're making up new characters. I mean, I can tell you as an African American person, um, you know, I love being able to see I mean, because I grew up like in Superman and Batman and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, I like the idea of, you know, young kids, uh, you know, of one race or another being able to grow up with characters that resemble them, which I didn't have so much. And, you know, I mean, I don't. All right. I mean, I'm not in a position to talk about how that potentially damaged me or what it did to my psyche or my social outlook or anything like that. But. I can tell you that I would have liked to have seen more superheroes of color as I was coming up. Now, um, one thing that you have seen, and I, I think that, you know, maybe, and, I, and I'm not going to say people's hearts are in the right place because I think all this stuff is uh, finance driven. Yeah. But when you do a reboot of, of a property like Battlestar Galactica, say, and you take a white male character or character that previously had been a white male like Lieutenant Starbuck and you cast Katie Sackhoff in that role and then you take um, you know another character or Lieutenant Boomer who had been an African-American male and you cast you know an Asian woman in that role I mean there are going to be some people who are saying well you know you're again pandering to political correctness I don't happen to believe that political correctness actually exists Um, But I don't also necessarily think that this is about cultural sensitivity, which does exist. But I think that the producers are saying, because, I mean, really, you didn't have that many women in that thing to begin with. I mean, there was um, Serena, uh, who died. You had Athena, 
who had a very small role, and you had Cassiopeia, who was, you know, the prostitute with the heart of gold who turned into like a med tech, you know? And then you had uh, June Lockhart's daughter, who, you know, June Lockhart's actual daughter, who was, you know, Commander Kane's daughter. And, you know, and then she ended up not doing a whole lot either. So I could see where they said, oh, we need some more women. We're going to add them. Oh, the president's going to be a woman, you know, because hell, I mean, at least 50% of the population are women. And, you know, you want to get them into reading comics and watching, uh, you know, science fiction and all that. But I, I, I do take some exception because I'm one who believes that diversity can be achieved by some means other than race or gender swapping an existing character. I personally believe that you should maintain the integrity of whatever the original conception of this stuff was. Yeah. So, um, but I can kind of see it both ways. And, you know, the, the new Battlestar Galactica arguably was more successful. It got a longer run and people talk about it, even though it's the original ABC Battlestar Galactica that's close to my heart. But, you know, I, I see... I, I, you know, I see both sides of all I mean, of these I feel issues. Like they really, yeah. they only care about dudes, and they only care about one color, and that's green. And the dudes are the presidents on those on those dollar bills. You know, what I mean, that's, and I think they'll put anyone who they want, and any any color, any gender, anything like that, that's going to produce the most money. And I think for the majority of the original source material that you're referencing at that time the thing that was going to bring in the most dollars was white dudes. And that's why every superhero and everything like that. And so now they're in this sticky situation of going, what do we do? Cause the source material is all one thing. And now everything is more universal than it used to be back in the sixties. When these characters were developed, we need to figure out the right balance. And I still think they're trying to figure that out. I don't, I, I think it's an yeah. ongoing process of going, okay, do we just shove one of every type of person in there just to do it? Or do we stick exactly like the source material? Or do we kind of figure out what the balance is? Or maybe we make up new characters and, oh, they don't like the new characters because well, they weren't in the original. Like, what do we do? I think that, like, a, a good example of of the good and the bad with this is uh, it's a show on Netflix. And I was telling you about this, Steve. Um uh, Black Mirror. So Black Mirror is essentially like this generation's Twilight Zone. It's a social commentary through kind of a horror lens, and it's all about like it's all about how connected we are. It has a tie to technology, right? And one of the episodes they did was starring Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, Ron Howard's daughter, and it was about essentially like every single person has like this social media app. And the only way for you to do things in your life is to have a certain rating. So like if you want to get a job, you have to have like a 3.0 rating or better on this social media app, meaning that you're friendly to people and you tip well and all this other stuff. But the problem with this episode in particular was it was too on the nose. It was mm. too in your face. It was too like, oh, social media is bad because at one point, Bryce Dallas Howard has to get a ride from this trucker and this trucker's like, oh, my rating's only a 1.5 because my husband was dying of cancer and nobody would help him and nobody would help me and now I'm free because I don't have this. And we're like, okay, we get it. Cell phones are bad. Okay, seriously, stop. Like it was, it was too on the nose and too beating you over the head with it. Like that's an example of when you're taking something and you're going too far with it. Um, and I think your audience will determine that. It, and that's that's the other thing about this, too, is as much as we would like to say, oh, well, diversity is a great thing and diversity is a wonderful thing, it's going to be a majority rules kind of thing. As you're not really going to see – you're going to keep seeing this happen. You're going to keep seeing um, gender swaps. You're going to keep seeing race swaps. You're going to keep seeing um, more mixed – casts because that is what it, the majority seems to want right now. And that's, and like you said, that what's the one person they care about the most, the president's on those dollars, because as long as that keeps selling and I'll give you a perfect example of, of how they know that that sells, not just the way black Panther did at the box office. It was the way the community rallied behind it. And it was, it was incredible. And it was moving to see that people were buying entire swaths of tickets to take kids that lived in inner cities 
to see the Black Panther because they weren't going to be able to really get to the movie theater otherwise. And that was that was in, that was incredible. Like you don't see people respond to that with a Tom Cruise movie because nobody cares. Like this was the first movie that really took a culture that I mean and, and I saw saw it all over Facebook and I saw it all over Twitter. Like how many times have you seen African Americans in movies who were like, you know, the the funny sidekick or, you know, uh, oh, this is the drug addicted um, guy that lives in the inner city. Like they were no longer a stereotype; they were the focal point. As well, the and hero. the villain, and, it was, and the side character, it like, was inspiring. The, the whole the whole spectrum, exactly. and I think that's the important thing. Is yeah, um, when you were when you, we were yeah. talking about like the source material before, it was always like you said, one specific yeah. niche was filled as like a side character, and then everyone else. I mean, like think about the the justice league you got batman white guy superman white guy aquaman white guy flash white guy and then their cyborg kind of just thrown in there you know what i mean but this was this was representative yeah. of okay you're talking about an act ah, actual african nation what is the makeup of that population going to be exactly what they showed on the film so and i feel like if they did a yeah. let's for 20 years down the road they do a sunfire movie if they did an all black cast there if they did an all white yeah. cast there it wouldn't make sense you need to do an all asian you know japanese cast because that's the character if that was set in japan so i feel like the realism yeah. is the most important thing there and they they fit that to a t and it wasn't just pandering to one specific yeah. group they said hey Let's do this exactly as real as we can. And I think audiences appreciated that because that's a group that never had a movie that was realistically made. Yeah. And like even um, one that was recent, um, Disney did uh, Big Hero 6, which was a Marvel property. And they even said specifically, like, we want to take a Marvel property that a lot of people don't know about. They even did that justice. Now, granted, they changed some of the, the, the like details of the story and the characters, but like they still kept it pretty act, not accurate. Accurate's the wrong word, but they kept it pretty true to the source material in general. Um, it was still your main characters were Asian Americans living in the the fake amalgam of Tokyo and San Francisco. San Francisco is what they called it in the movie, but like you can still do things like that and still have fun with it. And that that's the thing. Like as somebody who has written a comic book as somebody who like their dream would be to work on some of these things like Star Trek or Star Wars or other material like that. I would love to be able to have the flexibility of being able to say, Hey, you know what? You tell the best story you possibly can. And if the canon isn't perfect, we don't really care. Cause we just want an awesome story. Cause ultimately, isn't that what's the most important? Well, I don't know. <laughs> and, and I'm glad you posed that question because I think, there are dual purposes today to every creative endeavor. I mean, certainly some people have a story inside them that they just want to tell, or, uh, you know, there's some element that they feel that's important that they want to get out there. Uh, but there certainly is a component that says, we want to make some money on this too. And I've seen, there, there are plenty of examples of stuff that is exceptionally well-written, or stories that are well told, or movies that are well made, that as far as at the box office, they do very poorly. And, you know, they might get a boatload of awards or whatever, but, you know, it, it, it ultimately, oh, and, and conversely, you got some movies that make oogabs of money, and they don't seem to get any recognition awards-wise. I mean, I remember being very upset in uh, at the 1970 uh, I think it was 78 or 70 so whatever the academy awards were the oscars I guess it was the because it came out in 77 I guess it was like January 78 or whatever and Annie Hall uh you know Woody Allen won best picture yeah. and I was upset I was like wait but Star Wars but somebody said to me oh but Star Wars made a bunch of money <laughs> you know and so it was kind of like uh George Lucas is going to be okay he doesn't mind that he didn't get the statuette because he got paid you know and uh, yet, as a fan, I, and I still, to this day, I haven't seen Annie Hall. I've heard it's a good movie. Eh. But, you oh, know, yeah. I can't imagine that it was better than Star Wars, which to me should have been the best picture that year. So anyway, but, but uh, the point that I'm making is that uh, the reasons that people make these movies are, are very different. And even if you got a story that you want to tell and you're trying to tell a really good story, 
somewhere in the back of your mind, and probably not too far to the back, is going to be, we want to make something that is going to be commercially successful. Uh, it, because otherwise, you're not going to get to do any more. Yeah. You know? So... Yeah, so like what's better, critical acclaim or the dollars? Yeah, so you got to find the balancing act in there uh, for sure. Um, so let me pose a question to both of you guys. And um, Yuli, I started with you last time, so I'll start with Steve this time. There, I think right now we are in the golden age of of geekdom. I mean, we're, we're seeing more comic book movies made than ever before. There's a Star Wars movie coming out, it seems like, every year, if not more than one uh, every year. Uh, there's Star Trek back on TV. There's just everything that you could possibly want as a, as a fan of these things is out there. Is the bubble going to burst where it's just not going to be um, viable anymore? Yes and no. Like, I think it depends on what you mean by the bubble bursting. So, like... Um, I feel like instead of a bubble bursting, I think a better analogy is a pendulum swinging. So I feel like we're kind of right in that dead center where before it used to be there was this small nerdy core and that was like the one extreme where it was very unpopular and now it's swinging down in the middle where everyone likes it like, or like the right number of people like it where it's producing a lot of high quality content but it's not being – to the point where it's quite oversaturated, but that pendulums keep swinging and swinging and it is going to get to the point where it's oversaturated and you're just making garbage all over the place and it's too much to keep up with. And then DC fanboys and Marvel fanboys are fighting the point where people just stop caring about it. And, and, and it, the pendulum's going to hit that high point and then eventually it'll swing back down. And I think you're just going to get that kind of more rhythmic pattern to it where people eventually have enough time where they, Okay. All right. Yeah. Remember superhero movies? Those were cool. They should make another one of those, uh, you know, Batman films again. And then they have the next slate and generation where they get popular. Okay. Yuli, what's your, what's your take on this? Do you think that we're going to hit a, uh, a saturation point with all of these comic book movies? You know, I, I don't know. I would have said uh, a while ago that, um, that probably, but um, in, in the same former fashion that because you know, comic books themselves uh, used to go through trends I understand and you had different genres that were popular I mean romance comics would be popular or teen comics or war comics or detective comics and you know the thing with the superheroes wasn't really supposed to last you know it started there in the late 30s and it just kept on going and you had these other comics that came out, but the superhero comics were uh, a constant, and nobody had seen anything like that before. Now, add to that the fact that the the, the so-called modern superhero movie um, really got started uh, back in 1978 with the premiere of Superman the movie. I mean, you'd had you'd had some other stuff before then, but. In terms of, you know, a, a serious big budget thing, you know, by a major studio and, and all that, you hadn't had that. And we haven't, re I mean, yeah, sure, there have been, because people talk about, oh, what are we going to do when some of these things start being unsuccessful? There have been plenty of unsuccessful superhero movies that have come out in the intervening years. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and yet they still keep getting made. Now, Marvel has pushed this thing, you know, Disney Marvel, I kind of like Paul, but they've pushed this thing to uh, a place that we've never seen before. And, um, you know, now, I mean, I, I certainly, I certainly don't think that we can keep seeing what we're seeing. Although uh, it'll be interesting uh, with DC in terms of what they do, because, you know, they're having these movies that are, you know, so-called underperforming movies. And you've got, you know, top shelf characters like the Justice League of America and Superman, you know, that all of a sudden, you know, aren't generating the kind of money that everybody says that they should. Now, um, so I, and I think that actually goes directly to uh, what you were sort of saying earlier in terms of the overall quality of the product. But I also think that um, DC is right now playing catch up. And, and this is important only because 
um, Marvel is kind of rating the game. And uh, personally, I think that DC is on the wrong track. I think because uh, Marvel was chasing DC for so long. I mean, they had the most popular characters and the widest distribution of their books. Um, you know, but DC needs to go back and look at what it was that made their stuff popular. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Marvel Comics. I, I have for many years. I mean, and, you know, there are a lot of really great things. I mean, the realism, you know, the fact that these people live in the real world places like New York as opposed to Metropolis and whatever. But, um, you know, there was a reason that these other characters were as popular as they were. And, you know, while your dad might have liked Spider-Man, your granddad liked Superman and Batman. And so there is, there is, a, there is a, a cultural identity. I mean, sort of a, 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 an institution, uh, more or less, with the DC characters that doesn't exist for Marvel only because they haven't been around for 80 years. I mean, this year is going to be the 80th anniversary of the release of Action Comics number one. That's a long time. <laughs> That's a really long time. And, uh, you know, Superman was making millions of dollars in the 1940s, you know, and, you know, millions of dollars then is the equivalent of like billions today, you know, based on inflation. So, um, I think that uh, DC is sitting in the catbird seat. They just don't recognize what it is they have. So, I mean, I, I don't think this thing is ever going to come to an end now. I think that uh, you're going to have cagier uh, individuals who step up and they figure how to market these projects or they figure how to distribute them better. I mean, you know, it's not just turning on your TV anymore or going to the movies. I mean, we've got these streaming things. There's pay services. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that people haven't even thought of yet, you know? So, um, you know, they're going to figure out ways to make this stuff more accessible and plug into, uh, you know, the, the modern audience and figure out what people want. And because the most important thing is figuring out how to, separate people from their greenbacks yeah. <laughs> and, and they're very good at that and they're only getting better at it <laughs> yeah for sure um i, I do want to um because i know steve has a uh, a little guy that he needs to make sure that is uh is uh attended to for bedtime here pretty soon so we'll go ahead and wrap things up here in just a little bit um one of the things that i wanted to discuss as well with all of this is we talked about a saturation point is, is there something that you think we're not seeing enough of um and yuli will start with you and then we'll go to steve um something that like as far as like the way the comic book movies are being made or maybe a series that we haven't seen yet there's something that you're still hoping for that you loved as a kid or as an adult that you're you're hoping they're going to either remake or they're finally going to turn into a movie or a series yuli is there one that like you can think of off the top of your head you know, I'm, I, I don't know that I'm the, at the advanced age of, uh, 54, I don't know that I'm the right person to ask that question. No, only because I'm not the target audience for a lot of this stuff. I mean, and have not been for a very long time. I mean, I was delighted to see, cause I, I was, I've been a big Black Panther fan. In fact, that's another one of those characters. I was kind of, the Black Panther's mine, man, what are you doing? But I've, you know, loved the Black Panther for, uh, for many years, you know, since the, uh, the early 1970s. And so I was happy to see that. Um, I mean, I think that um, I, I'd love to see, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I'd like to see some of these DC properties that haven't seen the light of day or that we haven't really seen done right. I mean, you know, people got all, you know, crazy over Guardians of the Galaxy. I was saying, well, you know, Marvel does, DC doesn't need to get too crazy because they got the Legion of Superheroes. Do the Legion of Superheroes. Do that upright. That's way better than the Guardians of the Galaxy. So, I mean, they, they've already announced that uh, you know, they found a director for uh, the new gods from Kirby's Fourth World. That wouldn't necessarily be the thing that I want. I'd love to see the Metal Men. Uh, you know, I mean, but there are a lot of these older, you know, I don't know, maybe the Doom Patrol or the Challengers of uh, the Unknown or, you know, th th there are plenty of these characters that are out there that could get traction 
if they were done right and introduced properly. So I'd like to see, I mean, as an old guy, I'd like to see some of that. Okay. Or, you know, more character, more diverse characters. Let's have some women. Let's have some more black folks. You know, I mean, you know, hey, we're, we're in that time. Like you said, it's a golden yeah. age. So that, that, that's my two For cents. Sure. Steve, what haven't you seen yet? Or what would you really like to see either done or remade or, or something that is, is, is lacking right now? So I feel like DC kind of made the misstep of trying to make their own universe. Like, I feel like Marvel had like the golden goose. I feel like DC should have just went with, Hey, let's just get a bunch of golden eggs, just a bunch of one off, just out of this park, rock star hits. Um, and I would just love to see them make a bunch of non one universe standalone live action versions of their greatest hits. I mean, wouldn't you love to see a Dark Knight Returns? And I don't care if that same yep. actor plays Batman and then he crosses over with Flash at some point. I, I don't care about that. Like, take these amazing stories because DC, yeah. like Yuli said, has this amazing lineage in history that goes back decades. And there's some absolute stellar stories that are in there. Pluck out those stories and do them right. You don't have to make one movie do the origin story because you're really planning on setting up a trilogy or you're trying to make this interconnect yeah. universe, so you got to dedicate 45 minutes of your story to set up three other movies. Like, take the story as it is, focus on that one story, and just make these amazing standalone individual movies very much like the DC animated universe has done. And what do we all laud? What has DC done yeah. better than Marvel in every capacity? Is there one hour animated one? And that's because they really focus and dedicate themselves to doing a great live, well, motion version of the story they don't really detract from it much i guess the killing joke maybe a little bit is a hindrance but i mean other than that they've been hitting those out of the park do big budget live action versions of those and i'd be happy as a clam i mean who wouldn't want to see just a, a cool flashpoint with a great cast you know what i mean or like i said dark knight returns oh, yeah. or i mean there's so many different ones how about red sun just for fun why not throw one of those out there you know what i mean and, and, and I don't care who yeah. who plays it. Get the right cast. And I don't care if I ever see that guy play Superman again. And then we can debate who did Superman better in these three different Superman stories that we all saw. Yeah. yeah. I will say this, though. Um, Yuli, on his show, on the last episode of Fantastic Forum that I was lucky enough to be on, he made a really good point. Um, and he, he said this before, that like there was a point like right after 1977 Superman, or 78 Superman, when everybody was like, oh, snap, now Batman's coming, and then we're going to get the Justice League. But Warner Brothers is old school Hollywood. And when a movie succeeds, they do a sequel. And that shows kind of the same pattern that we're seeing here, too. Marvel did something successful. And instead of coming up with their own creative idea, kind of like what you just mentioned, Steve, which would have been great, they were like, no, let's just do what works for them. They don't really take risks when it comes to the movies they put out. They do the things that they've seen other people do that they know will work. And... Even though Justice League, a lot of or, um, Batman vs Superman, a lot of us were like, "eh, it was okay." And same thing with Justice League, we were like, eh, "it was pretty good." Like, it, it still didn't feel right, and and I think that's part of the reason why is because they were so focused on trying to do something like Marvel, and they weren't focused on doing what was well, and I the think best that, thing at the time. To my to my point though about picking out like mm -hmm. the best stories of the DC comics, I wouldn't say that is a huge risk because. What, yeah. what the studio is afraid of, they're afraid of no. something that's absolutely brand new, like a, a script that is completely 100% original that no one's ever heard or seen before and have no idea how audiences are going to re react. Batman has such an ingrained yeah. fan base that, I mean, I swear, if you make anything, anything with the name Batman on it, you're going to get your your money back and then some. Um, and some are going to be better than others, but focus oh, yeah. your, your funds and your attention on the quality uh, getting the right directors, getting the right um, writers to to adapt the story into a script. Um, I, you can probably actually even save some money on, on that front uh, than trying to put all this together and then locking the, the specific actors up to these multi-picture contracts. Um, you, you avoid that problem entirely, but you're still not going too far out on a limb because... I mean, anyone who's ever been a Batman fan knows when you say Dark Knight Returns, like, oh, yeah, dude, that, oh, I love that story. And then they have the fight at the end and stuff, and it's crazy. Like, you, and you, you have the fan base built there, so I feel like you're already limiting your risk in that front. Yeah. Um, so, 
as far as I'm going to go very off um, the beaten path for the ones that I would love to see get some attention, get remade, get um, some, something. Um, one of my favorite ones when I was a kid, favorite, favorite comic book series, and then uh, MTV turned it into a series. Uh, it was The Max. It was like it was one of the first comic book series that I ever went out and got. Like the Image comic made by Sam Keith. Like it was just it was such a cool, weird, trippy comic book, and it was the first one that had been different for me, other than your typical X Men and Batman and Superman and stuff like that that I was used to getting. And I would love to see them redo this. Now they relaunched the comic books, and you can pick them up at most comic book shops now. Um, but I would love to see if they did another version of this series, or they did the mo- did a movie or, or something, because it's just such a weird unique story and that's some of the best comic books in my opinion are the ones that tell a story that's just nothing like you you've ever read before um the other one that i would want to see okay so (laughs) marvel did a series called next wave agents of hate and it's written by warren ellis and Stuart imminent and it's essentially it's a in the marvel universe but they're just ripping on all the other marvel characters and it's just kind of a spoof and it's just fun. So like, for instance, like some of the characters that are part of this team, which is called Next Wave, is Elsa Bloodstone, Monica Rambo, who was the former Captain Marvel, Tabitha uh, Smith, who was Boomer from X-Force, Aaron Stack, the Machine Man, and the Captain, which his name is Captain Expletive Deleted. Um, but basically, like in the comic book, it said the obscured word being so horrible, the Captain America allegedly beat seven shades of it out of him. Um, and left him in a dumpster with a bar of soap in his mouth. So like, it's, it's, it's all a, it's, it's all like making fun of the Marvel thing. Like at one point they fight Fing Fang Foom and he's made out of broccoli. Like it's, it's just out there and weird and strange. He's like a clone made out of broccoli. It's really, really crazy. But that's why I liked it so much is because it was just making fun of everything and it never took itself too seriously. But yeah, like those are the ones that I would want to see, but they'll never happen. Because nobody knows anything about Next Wave. Nobody cares about the Max. So, like, these are just, like, in my own little brain, if somebody was like, hey, how could we make Mike Lunsford happy and make 20 bucks off these movies, that would be the way to do it. These, these are your Powerball pipe dreams. Mm. Yeah, exactly. If I ever get rich <laughs> and I become a big player in the Hollywood scene, um, me and you, Steve, and you, Yuli, we're, we're making this movie. It's going to happen. And we'll make people like it. It'll be awesome. Well, let me tell you something. Some of this stuff is actually coming down the pike. And I, I agree with Steve. And, and in fact, that's part of the reason that we're seeing uh, a lot of the reboots that we do. And, you know, people talk all the time about, oh, there aren't any original ideas in Hollywood. There's still plenty of original ideas. What it is, they're nervous about the likelihood for success. And they feel like they can mini- minimize the chances of failure if they do like another Batman story, because they know that there are all these existing fans who they can bring on. And so the, the greater likelihood is that this thing is going to be successful. Now, the other thing is um, which exactly what you're talking about. Uh, the independent uh, comic book companies now are the one. I mean, this is where the real creativity is right now in the comics industry. And uh, there's some stuff coming from Sony. Uh, because they licensed uh, some of these Valiant characters. I understand that Bloodshot is in development. That's going to be a great story. Yeah, ben um, Diesel's going to be Bloodshot, yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, there's another one um, that's um, a Harbinger uh, that's a very interesting story. Uh, that stuff is coming. So, and, and there's other stuff like that. And as you have the success of uh, some of these more obscure Marvel characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy or the Black Panther or, um, you know, Captain Marvel, once that gets out, you know, I mean, we're going to see uh, people look, in fact, there's a, there's a guy I know who's got a property right now, sort of an Afrofuturist property. And I'm sure he's trying to position himself to get a deal or something, but you know, they're going to be people who are looking to leverage existing properties and they're gonna be they're out there looking even now. I mean, you know, Mike, it's time to dust some of those old comic books that you wrote off, man. It's like dust yeah. them off, bring them back. You could get a deal. I mean, that that yeah. stuff you were talking about here could not be as far off as we think. You know, maybe so. I can get a maybe somebody will uh, will purchase the rights to Ethan Stone so we can make that into a movie. So Ooh, let me ask you, if they did, and they're gonna make the big budget Ethan Stone movie, oh, cast that movie. Oh God! Like I haven't done this already. Okay, right. so 
Um, so Ethan Stone is John Hamm. Um, okay, I can uh, see that. Seth is Michael Chiklis. Interesting. There you go. Those are your two. Michael Chiklis is Seth, and Ethan, yeah, and John Hamm. But here's the other thing: is if you wanted to go older and you wanted to make, um, you wanted to make Ethan a little bit more nerdy, because I think he could play the nerdy a little bit better. Um, Guy Pierce as Ethan Stone, and Kyle Gass as Seth. Kyle Gass. Well, there you go. Jack Black as Ethan Stone, and Kyle Gass as Seth. So <laughs> Tenacious D is is Ethan, Ethan Stone, Stone and Seth Murphy. Man, I, I say to heck with a movie. You want this to be like a weekly series. I want this thing on CW or something like that or on like or I want it to be on like Netflix where I get like an awesome Marvel deal where I can have like 13, 13 hour long episodes. Um, there you go. Yeah. See, like I've actually and it's funny, too, because Ben and I have been talking about because um, Ben's just been like he has had the worst luck when it comes to physical ailments. Like Ben basically has to get surgery on his neck because he has a um, herniated disc in his neck, but he's also got bone chips in his neck too. So like he's, he's out of commission pretty much when it comes to artwork, but we've been trying so hard to get issue three done. Um, By the way, if anybody's listening to this right now and you're like, what the heck is Mike talking about? Um, My, my buddy Ben Shaw and I wrote a comic book a few years ago called Ethan Stone PI. PI stands for paranormal investigator. In fact, if you're interested in a copy, all you have to do is contact me on the GGR website. If you go to greatgeekrefuge.com, there's a contact us. Send me an email, and I will gladly send you a digital copy of the comic book so you can read it and you can tell me what you it's thought. It's really good. Um, I, I like it. I mean, I'm partial to it. Unsolicited um, testimonial. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, like it's – it, it's the one thing that like it's part of the reason why I brought GGR back in the first place, and it, it, I'm tying this in with what you had mentioned too, Steve, when you started talking about Ethan Stone. Um, I was I was tired of doing things that weren't my creative projects, and I wanted to do things that were mine again, but also bring in all of my friends who were also really talented people too. Like, which is why both of you guys are on this show with me today, because. it's one of my favorite things to do is just talk to you guys. Like if I could spend hours of my day doing this and and get paid for it, that that's the dream. Um, But also too, I want to start doing creative stuff again. I want to start writing stories again. I want to start doing comic books again. I want to start doing these things. And the best way to do that is to have my own stuff. That spark, you know what I mean? It's too easy to get into a routine and you're not, you're not doing something creative and you're just going about your daily life. It's too easy to stay there. So, you know, I think having these conversations where we talk about this kind of stuff, it, it gets those juices flowing. You know what I mean? It gets that, that spark lighting that fire. And I, I think we all get there where we, you know, it makes me want to write different articles for GGR and stuff based on little ideas that we touch on when we're having these talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, no, yeah, go ahead, Julie. No, no, I was going to say I feel the same way. Yeah, so I think we we really hit a good uh, spot with this, guys. I mean, like it, it's, I don't think that it's ever going to be this go back to the way it was. I don't think it'll ever be like, oh, you can only talk about these things in, in certain places and in certain uh, circles. Like everybody's talking about them now. Everybody's a fan of these things. Steve, you'd mentioned before that like this is something that everybody's into now. It, it's not just oh, you can be a jock or you can be a nerd. No, you can be a nerdy jock or you can be. Like, shoot, they're sports nerds. They're guys that, like, know fantasy football so backwards and forwards. It's, it's, it's astounding. Like, these worlds have all crossed over. You know, there's, a, there's multiverses everywhere, basically. <laughs> and it's, and it's kind of awesome. And I, and I think that this is what – it's one of those um, – it, it's one of those, like, mom, like moments of hope. When you, when you see these, these things where you see these people just ripping on, on everything good that's going on – you on the flip side, you see that like people are now unabashedly sharing the things that they love and they don't have to hide it anymore because everybody's accepting of it. And I think that that as our society moves forward, we're just going to keep seeing more of that and more of this, more of the acceptance, more of the inclusivity is always a wonderful thing. Yeah, I, I agree. And I hope it continues like that. Um, I mean, I, I think there is a danger, and again, this is me being an old guy, but um, I would, uh, because I feel as if sometimes we're bordering on a potentially over-permissive kind of culture, and 
um, you know, I mean, I'm all, I mean, Hey, maybe it's just me kind of looking back or, I mean, I'm sure that there were people who, um, you know, thought a particular way in the past and it wasn't until those people were dead and gone that society could move forward. But, um, you know, I mean, there are, um, you know, there, there's, there's, everybody's like, oh, I just want to do something what feels good. And if it feels good, it's okay. Well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I try and I, I think we have to be a little judicious in terms of uh, what we're doing. And I think we have to kind of try and protect uh, what it is that we have. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I'm railing against, you know, I mean, this is one of those public conversations and, you know, it's like, eh. I mean, hey, you know, again, whatever works for the individual is frequently good. But, you know, I mean, there can't we, we need to worry about the danger of excess. You know, I mean, any kind of excess is potentially negative. You know? Yeah. And uh, I, I, I don't know that we are truly guarding against that now. I think that a lot of people are embracing this hedonism. And, um, you know, like I said, in terms of, I, I, I really, really think it's ironic that you have Star Trek fans who are arguing about diversity and inclusiveness, you know, because that was part of what made Star Trek as popular as it became, you know, was that this was a shining ray of inclusiveness and diversity in what was otherwise a very bland television landscape at the time. And that was part of what made Roddenberry such a visionary, you know? So, um, you know, but I, I, I again, it, part of it was that these were people with standards and yeah. with beliefs and because i remember somebody blew my mind they were talking about star trek and they were like yeah part of it is there's there are causes that are worth dying for and i had never thought about that before i was like oh damn you're right i mean that was like a big part of what star trek was all about yeah these people who were willing in fact i'll tell you what there was an episode it was called the galileo seven and spock and six other crewmen are um, marooned on this planet in a shuttlecraft and uh, they're these hostile but primitive aliens and at one point spock was talking about the responsibility that the federation people had to these hostile primitives and i'm like damn that's deep <laughs> you know these people are trying to kill you but you still recognize hey we're more technologically advanced part of what they're doing is they're afraid and so we can't we got the we have the weapons we could just wipe them out and be okay but we can't do that because we understand that they're just simply afraid and they're just trying to protect themselves. I'm like, damn, you know, I mean, this is so, and I think some of that is what is lost today, you know, because everybody's doing what feels good and, you know, all this kind of thing. And, you know, we also have to, we have to worry about what's right and we have to agree on what's right. You know, I think there's a, there could be a potential big gulf with that. You know, I, yeah, I, I think, I think you're dead on dude. And like, I think, Today, if they remade Galileo Seven, I think you'd have Spock screaming "Nukem, Nukem, Nukem!" Like there wouldn't be any sort of pray for your enemy. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be like that. So I, I agree. I think there is a standard, and I think you know, like I use that pendulum analogy for you know how things go in cycles. I think that's true for not only the media and stuff that we consume, but the the things that we say with our media. Yeah. I would I would totally agree, and like it's it's funny that you say that too, Yuli, because um, I told you this story uh, on the phone, but, um, and, and Steve, you know about this too, uh, but I'll share it with our uh, our listeners, uh, and then we'll go ahead and wrap things up here. So um, you talk about what feels good and versus doing what's right. Uh, so I had gone about fifteen years without seeing a dentist, and I had chipped a tooth recently, and I was like, well. I got to get this fixed because this is miserable. This hurts. Like I can't eat. Like I got to do something about this. And I sucked it up and I went to the dentist and like it, I did, I didn't enjoy it because I kind of have a borderline paranoia of the dentist and it ended up being like, first off, dentistry is amazing and, and it made some amazing leaps and bounds in the last like 15, 20 years, man. They can do some awesome stuff now. Um, but it was, a, it was 
going against what felt right. I didn't want to do it because I don't like going there, but it's the adult thing to do. It's the mature thing to do. It's the smart thing to do. And five, um, five appointments later and lots of scrubbing and a tooth being pulled and a tooth being capped and all of this other stuff. I'm, I'm feeling better. My teeth look better. My breath smells better. So like everything is, everything is better. And it show it's kind of a microcosm of what we were talking about where like, sometimes you got to do what's hard. You got to do the hard stuff because it's worth it in the long run because it's too many people are worried about the temporary, the, the stuff that's happening right now and not about the long term. Yeah, too many people are greedy. You know, is the other thing. Maybe we should be less concerned about what's going to be uh, financially successful and worry more about telling a good story. I'm, I am all for that. I have, I have said a million times, and Steve and I have agreed on this too. That like, I would rather have a good story told than something that's going to appeal to the masses. And that's why some of my favorite movies are ones that not everybody liked. Like, there's. It, it doesn't have to be something that makes billions of dollars. A good story is a good story. And like, I had just read this amazing quote from Neil Gaiman that really, you ever read something from somebody that you admire and it really like kind of like relights that fire or just kind of stokes the, the fire of creativity that you have. Um, cool. Gaiman said that like he, had, he was hearing this story from an older woman who um, was in like Poland when they were occupied by Germany they weren't allowed to read books. And what she would do is every night she would go to bed and she would sneak read Gone with the Wind for like three or four hours, like like not sleep so that she could stay up and, and read this book. And then the next day when she was knitting or, or doing whatever work it was that the Nazis essentially were making them do, she would tell the story to the other women in the knitting circle and like the sewing circle that they were in, knowing full well that if if one of the Nazis had heard this, that she probably could have been killed for this and that a story was worth dying for. And I was just like, wow, like that really, like it it just really hit me. I was like, that is, that's incredible. That's so true that we take this for granted that stories uh, there, there are times in our history where you weren't able to do this and you weren't allowed to do this. And that's the power. That's the freedom that we have in this country, in this world now. And that it shouldn't be taken for granted. And that just really, like, really spoke to me. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah, profound. Yeah. Mm. I think on that note, that is a perfect spot for us to go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, Yuli, you're an amazingly talented man. You do lots of awesome things. Tell us a little bit about the projects that you are working on, my friend. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, I, there is a, a television show and radio show that I produce. It's called Fantastic Four. Well, the comic science fiction and fantasy fans, Fantastic Forum. And the radio show airs on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia on Saturday afternoons from 4 to 5. Uh, the TV show is in various markets. You can find out all about it at fantasticforum.tv. I also do a morning radio show on WERA called Arlington in the Morning from 7 to 9, Monday through Friday. And um, you can tune in there. In fact, if you're outside the listening area, you can go to the website at WERA.FM and listen on demand via the stream. And uh, would love for everybody, if you know, typical morning drive time nonsense <laughs> and music, uh, local news, weather, traffic, all that kind of thing. So, um, and uh, hey, in fact, I have been fortunate enough to have had you on both those shows. Yeah, <laughs> so, those shows. I'm a triple threat. <laughs> uh, all the time, my friend. <laughs> um, I wanted to point out here real quick, because Steve is not one to sing his accolades very often, because he's like, oh, I don't really do anything. Um, which, by the way, that was me talking and doing an impersonation of Steve. That's <laughs> it was spot on. I thought I was talking there for a moment. I, I was going to say. Wait, I'm not very... saying words. How did he do that? Um, <laughs> Steve wrote, he wrote an incredible article uh, that was a team up with his uh, his brother Grant, where they took Marvel superheroes and drafted them as if they were fantasy football players. <laughs> and in our relaunch of GGR, it's actually one of our most popular articles. So uh, kudos to you, Steve. Uh, it has caught 
the attention of people that I didn't even want, wouldn't even imagined. Like I put it on Instagram and people who are massive football fans and comic book fans are reading this. They're like, Oh dude, this was so good. This is so great. Oh, Grant's team totally would have won. No way. There's no way Steve's team would have won because he's got, um, because he's got, uh, was it the, uh, you have shadow cat as your running back. That's right. Yeah. Uh, he was like, yeah, shadow cat's going to be the, uh, the, the outlier here. That's going to be the one that wins him the, the championship. Like it was just cool because there was an interaction that people were, were talking about this and it was just such a cool little thing that every now and then these GGR articles that we write, people really grasp onto and like we actually get some response too. So, so kudos to you, Steve, for your awesome article. Well, thank you. Um, but check out our stuff, man. It's it's GGR. It's greatgeekrefuge.com articles, podcast. We're going to be doing more stuff. But more importantly, this episode, but also check out last week's episode that we did. We did an amazing in-studio interview with an incredibly talented musician. Her name is Justina Johnson. She sang a couple songs for us live. We played some songs off of her album, but also she's just a really cool person. She was our Geek of the Week. So check out that interview too. Uh, whenever you get a chance. Uh, but for Yuli, for Steve, my name is Mike Lunsford, and this has been GGR Pirate Radio. This has been Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,